You're listening to the post-message podcast from Lakeside series entitled God Talk. This is following week one of our series that was delivered by Sean Miller on the 17th and 18th of February entitled, Where Are We? Welcome to the first post-message podcast of the God Talk series. Uh, This is John, and I am in the room with my friends, Kimberly Campbell. Hi, Hi. Kimberly Campbell got her own theme song. We make it up every day, though. It's different. And Sean Miller, the reverend, the very reverend Sean Miller. Sean Miller, he's he's a bad one. Don't do do it, Sean. (laughs) Sean, What's that a reference to? From Patriot Games. Sean Miller was the bad guy. Oh, really? Played by, I think, Sean Bean. Okay. Yes. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Interesting. So, uh, we are going to give you useless trivia, as well as talk about some amazing things. Sean, you did a fantastic job this past weekend. Uh, The title of the message was, Where Are We? I think that was a good spot to start, (laughs) right? If we're talking about where we're going and, you know, what's required of us, which that's going to be part of the series, uh, Where Are We is, is a great place to start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the whole idea of wanting to navigate to where you want to be, your preferred future, it's always helpful to know where you're starting and to kind of get a sense of your surroundings and kind of open your eyes, look around and go, how do we get from here to there? So it's always helpful to recognize where you're starting. Kim, did you come on Saturday or Sunday? I came Sunday at the nine. Okay, so Sean was already polished by that time. <laughs> was it rough on Saturday? I can't polish my head, though, because I have hair on my head. Ooh. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Reciprocal diss. <laughs> that was good. I liked it. No, actually, there was nothing to diss about Saturday. Saturday, I was there. I sat through it top to bottom on Saturday at 5 o'clock and, and absolutely loved the conversation that we had. So I I loved um, I loved the whole pattern of what happens every five hundred years. Yeah, that was cool. I had not seen mm-hmm. that kind of laid out before. So we started where one thousand BC is that where yeah, we started? Yeah, yeah, just before that. So kind of establishing uh, they kept the chaotic nature of what it was like or what it must have been like to be a part of the tribe of Israel in the ancient in the ancient Near East during the time of the Book of Judges. It was just a roller coaster. It was up and down. Something needed to change, and they asked God for a king, and they got one, Hmm. for better or for worse. Right, which we know was mostly for worse. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, But, yeah, so then you go, every 500 years, you have this saying you kept coming back to, and I wrote this in my God Talk journal, by the way, which if, if you weren't here this weekend, we will have some journals for you and we'll describe once again this weekend how to use those. If you did pick up a journal, then make sure you bring it back with you. Uh, we haven't purchased enough for everybody to get a new journal every week. It's, right. That, right. So yeah. it's, it's bring, bring it back. It's your personal diary. But I wrote in my, in my journal, in my journal, something that you kept coming back to. You said every 500 years, you said, if you were alive at that time, you just knew things were radically different. Right. You know, as, as the page mm-hmm. turned. And, and then we'd go 500 years more and you say, if you were alive at that time, you just knew that things were radically different. So, right. so one thing, because 
35 minutes, you can't, you can't speak the entire counsel of God in 35 minutes, right? There's always stuff we have to leave out. So today, if we live in this time, we know things are radically different. What are the things happening around us in this place that we live called Folsom or El Dorado Hills or Orangevale, this, this region? Right. What feels radically different to us? Right. Well, it's interesting because when you're when you're talking about things getting uh, different um, in these 500 year massive shifts, it wasn't just faith things that were different, but there were advances in technology. Mm-hmm. There were political shakeups. There were economic shakeups, and so it's really all of life that we have to look at. And so, just look at, at one other area of life. Look at technology. And so in the Great Reformation, one of the things that made the Great Reformation catch fire was the printing press. It was, it, it was new technology. And of course now we are in the midst of an informational revolution. We have information at our fingertips um, 24-7. And this is changing the way that we do culture. This is changing the way that we do our relationships. It's changing the way that we make our purchases. It's changing the way that we relate to one another and do community. And it actually is affecting the way that we do Christian spirituality. Hmm. And so all of these sweeping changes are happening right here, right now. But what's interesting is we don't think twice about grabbing our phone first thing in the morning. And then very, very last thing, as we lay our pillow, lay our head on, on our pillow, on our huge pillow. Huge pillow. <laughs> huge. Try um, yourself to sleep on this huge pillow. That's we, another cultural reference. Yes, useless S- trivia. Useless trivia. Yes. The movie So I Married an Axe Murderer, starring Mike Myers. Thank you very much. Great cultural reference. As we lay our head down at night, for many of us, the very last thing we look at is our phone. This is changing the way that we relate to others in our lives and that we relate to God, that we are changing the way we relate to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're not sure where this is headed yet because we're so early on in this, in this shift with all this information just at our fingertips. But many believe that it's, it's changing things. So that would be one other area right. of change. Well, and I think one of the things you talked about that we've seen so much of just in the last five years compared to like the series before that is the, this group of folks you talk about that they they would you know the rise of the nuns the n o n e s um, that those that don't feel they have any um, association with a religion and I think a lot of that has to do with the increase in technology at the same time I think those are paired together because you have so many people that um, have such a wider world view that they're hitting the pause button on traditional um, beliefs. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, technology is absolutely a part of that. Well, and I think fear and tradition are two things that have held the church back from being able to relate to the culture around us uh, throughout history, right? And so we, we always have to learn new languages because of what's happening in science and technology. I mean, science and technology knows that, like, if you're in the tech world, what, your shelf life of what you know to be true is what? 18 months? A year? Something like that? Yet, 
as Jesus followers, we hold on to old models and old ways of communicating what Jesus is doing in the world around us mm-hmm. when the world around us is changing at rapid fire pace. Right. Um, and so, I, I, not to toot my own horn, but I wrote a book called uh, Follow You, Follow Me about the uh, importance of social media in a ministry context or in the Jesus context. Well, I don't know how many years it's been since I wrote that book, but I've been thinking about rewriting it because when I first wrote it, you know, things like Twitter were brand new. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, and and now we have to we have to change, we have to adapt, and we need to learn the new language. We can't allow fear or tradition to keep us from right. learning a new way of speaking. Right, and this is and this seems to be one of our greatest needs as followers of Jesus right now. Well, it's funny because we had that clip this weekend, that short clip of Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how I, I appreciate Billy Graham. I, I, I love his biography. I have it on my shelf. I read it, Just As I Am. I think it's called, you know, back in the 90s when it came out. And went to actually several Billy Graham crusades over the years. And um, always want to honor the past and that sort of thing. But one of Billy Graham's very first slogans, it's interesting because... We don't think of, of him as having a slogan, but he, he started at one point. He was a young buck traveling around the country, and he used to say that he wanted his ministry to be built on the rock but geared for the times. <laughs> oh, wow. And I that, love that. that. And that's what we're talking about. Man, I love that. And the Reformers, go back 500 years, so one of the, one of the sayings of the Reformers was always reforming. And what's interesting is that many who believe so wholeheartedly in the movement and the teachings of the Reformation, which we are all products of, have stopped reforming. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not, I talked about this in my talk, we're not about talking about changing the gospel or who Jesus was or anything like that. We're talking about how do we talk about God and have healthy, productive conversations about this eternal truth that we that we believe in. Hmm. Well, I think the way people are, talk about anything now has changed so much that you know, John, you're right. It's we've got to keep up with those different vehicles to start those conversations, and it looks a lot different now than it did ten years ago. Hmm. Uh, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana would be fifty-one today. Fifty-one oh, today. Wow. Yeah, he would be fifty-one today. But I remember. The first time I heard Nirvana on the radio, I had to pull over to the side of the road and go, what is happening with music? This is absolutely amazing. Like, it blew my mind. Um, was it, rock and roll wasn't new. I mean, they, they didn't change chord structures, really. They didn't introduce new, you know, a, a new thing. Music has, has been around. But, right. but the way, but the language of the music and the way it was presented um, was way different than what happened like the decade before, you know, in, in the big hair eighties where very pretty men. Um, when we were living on a prayer. Yes, exactly. Well, we were halfway there anyway. Not quite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, music, man, it was just, it was so different. It was, um, 
it was just so guttural, you know, it was just so meaningful. It meant me where I was at that point in my life. I just went, oh, this is, this is something new for me. And I think that's a good metaphor for us with the gospel. It, the music hasn't changed, right? But, but, but the way we talk about it, the way we invite people into the conversation. That's one of the ways that I like to think about what we do and how we do it as followers of Jesus, as a community of Jesus followers. Jesus called it the ecclesia in Greek, the assembly or the called out ones, the, um, the community that he would form again and again and again all over the world. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great picture, this idea of playing music. And one of the ways that I've heard it put is that Jesus wrote the notes. He wrote the music. And we get to play the music. So he wrote the symphony, and now we gather together, and we all have different instruments. We all get in tune with one another, and we play this beautiful symphony. And then we figure out how to play it again, and again, and again, and again, and again, for whatever cultural context Mm -hmm. that we happen to be in. And so we're playing this same song, but we're, we're playing it in different ways throughout history. And that's what, one of the things that makes the church so beautiful. So that's why you have, like, Adele sing, Make You Feel My Love, right? Which is a Dylan tune. But then when Adele does it, everybody goes, what? It's like they've heard it for the first time. Right. Right? And I think, I think that whole concept of hearing something for the first time, it should be super important to us as the church because I think the way that we've told the story of Jesus has become stale and predictable. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, Kim, how long have you been following Jesus? Um, well, I was baptized here at Lakeside probably five years ago. I was not in a lot. I was pursuing him prior to that. Um, but it was not something I grew up in the church, going to church on a regular basis. Um and so I think I've always been seeking him, but I didn't really kind of make turn that corner until uh, probably seven years ago, where I would consider myself mm. a Christ follower. Yeah. I think I always had to do this other stuff to um, be ready, or um, I had this list in my head of things I had to know or be before, but I think the final realization that it was just... A small step, and I finally made that probably seven years ago. Hmm. Hmm. Do you remember like the circumstances surrounding your first coming to Lakeside, and uh, when you got to that spot where you're like, "Yeah, I, I am seeking Him. I want to find out what's going on." Like, were there friends in your life, or were you listening to you know podcasts, or what? What were the things that drew you here? For me, it was always just a personal desire to learn more you know this there may not be as many people that would mark their box as saying you know I affiliate with a a certain religion but I think there's just as many people who are seeking you know trying to understand the answers trying to learn more and that was kind of me so it was through college you know and um, young adulthood and with a young family um, I was always uh trying to get a better understanding, but it wasn't until I kind of made the decision to um, 
attend church on a regular basis, open myself in, you know, learn more, um, have people around me that I could ask questions, um, that it kind of all fell into place. So um, it was really taking that next step of investing more time in pursuing it that um, made the difference for me. And having people around you that you could ask questions to means that there are people who are willing to listen. Absolutely. Which, which I don't know. I don't know how great we've done. I think right. Our, our gospel has been very uh, presentational. Right. Right. Versus invitational. Right. Yeah. Versus. Yeah. Listening to what God is already doing and how He's already moving around us. We're going to kind of get into this a little bit this weekend too, like the paying attention to what how God is already moving. Yeah. But Sean, um, we had some conversations leading into this series about like where Folsom is. Can you get a little bit more specific about what kind of a culture you think we live in here in Folsom and what what we should be paying attention to? Yeah, well, I mean, we look around at what's going on in Folsom, El Dorado Hills, this region. And some of the things that rise to the top really quickly are our children. How much we love our kids. No doubt about it. And one of the interesting things about that is that sometimes when we have such an affection for something, it can get pushed to the limit where things get out of whack a little bit. So you look around Folsom and there's this uh, sense of drivenness. There's this sense of uh, aggressiveness. There's this sense of uh, we can't stop. And so you look at uh, sports. Um, One of the things that's at the top of the list for what people love in Folsom. And uh, kids have their own personal trainers at a young age. It's it's parents jockeying for position, getting their kids on a particular competitive travel team for whatever sport they might be in, and maybe things not working out, and so they have them on two travel teams or three travel teams or whatever it might be. There is a competitiveness. There's a drivenness. There's a, a me-first sort of a thing. And as much as we love our kids, I think at certain times, unbeknownst to us at times, I think our kids can become like idols for us. Mm-hmm. I think that I've said it before. One of the most competitive competitive places in the city of Folsom is an elementary school drop off zone. <laughs> have you have you seen yes. the minivans and suburbans <laughs> jockeying for position in yeah. there? You know, it's just a dangerous place to be, and you will get somebody angry at you very quickly if you don't follow the rules. And so, I just think that's a that's a microcosm of where we're at. I think I think we're we're driven to the point where there is this dream that we want to hold on to this uh, family friendly, good place to live. Which I I fully think Folsom is a great place to live. I moved my family here, but there's this drivenness to kind of keep that dream alive in a place that uh, can be expensive to live. It can be a challenge to to stay uh, through the ups and downs of the economy and so forth. We saw that uh, back in 2009 and 2011 for sure. And, uh, and so at sometimes I think that as we're holding on to this dream, that our kids have to be a certain way, that we have to be a certain way, that we have to attain a certain standard of living, 
that behind closed doors, behind the painted doors and the manicured lawns, there is disillusionment going on. Uh, some of our, our dreams maybe aren't coming true the way that we thought. And I think that leaves us with several choices. Uh, and one of the choices, sadly, is self-medication. And so we're medicating through technology. We're medicating through keeping ourselves busy. We're medicating through substance abuse or whatever it might be as we drive ourselves to this image of what we believe success is. And I think all the while, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, slow down, press the pause button. I'm here, I'm in this, and I want to connect with you. And what I really want is to connect with you, and then I want to connect with others through you. And that brings us back around to the criticalness of God talk and Mm. how we do it in Folsom and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was Len Sweet I heard one time say something about how it's it's wrong for us to even think that we our role is to bring the gospel to the world uh, or bring Jesus to the lost around us or bring Jesus to the self-medicating crowd or he's already there but we don't right. bring God to anybody he's already living and moving and breathing and we have to pay attention that's that's what we have to do is we have yeah. to pay attention to see where where he's at yeah we you I, I think I used to hear it uh, said this way back maybe a couple decades ago it's that it's it's like surfing I I grew up near Santa Cruz in San Jose I would drive over the hill in high school instead of going to high school like I should have been going to <laughs> And I would sit on the beach and I would watch the waves come in and I would go up to uh, one of the points where the surfers were surfing and I used to hear the phrase, we don't create the waves, but we try to identify them and ride them for as long as we can. And so we're not creating these movements of the Spirit of God in our culture. The Spirit of God is at work all around us. Our job is to identify where he's working and to figure out how to paddle as hard as we can and ride those waves. Mm. Mm. And I think there, you know, when we talk about Folsom, we also talk about a lot of successful, professional, driven individuals that, you know, work hard and um, Mm. worked hard to get here and live here. But that also gets you in a mindset that, you need to be self-sufficient. You need to stand alone. You need to um, make right. it your own way. So the idea of letting that down or even recognizing that there's a God, that Jesus wants to be part of your life, mm-hmm. when you're not in a position where you're used to needing someone or being open to needing someone outside yourself, I think that's a hard, um, that's a hard door to open. And I think that's another thing that this particular environment or many successful, um, you know, communities probably feel because you have to um, have your stuff together in order to be successful in, you know, in this current culture. And mm. it makes it um, kind of an unwillingness to then be open or be vulnerable to taking a step towards faith. That's a great insight. Yeah, it is. I'm thankful for the work ethic that I have. Like my dad instilled it in me, you know. My dad's a painting contractor, and he, you know, we used to clean out the airless sprayer at the end of the day. And my dad would say, "Is that clean?" 
when we ran water through it. We go, yeah, it's clean, Daddy. He'd go, great. Here, drink this. You know, we put, he'd put the the bottom of the airless in a bucket of water and go, here, pull the trigger, drink that. Whoa, okay, I'll clean it some more, Dad. You know, it's like, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. It's made me a real hard worker. But I also know too, like our our um, our work ethic sometimes leaks into our. Um, piggybacking on what you're saying, Kim, uh, uh, you know, our desire, our, our uh, success-driven mindset leaks into how we approach Jesus and how we pay, try to pay attention to Jesus and others and, and have God talk. And so uh, we think it's our job to seal the deal at the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Or um, we even talk about things like, building the kingdom it's our job to 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 build god's kingdom well it's no it's not no he he's the one that is the kingdom builder i mean i'm really good at building my own kingdom i do i do fine at that thank you very much unfortunately but but god is looking for something completely different he he's the one that's doing the work and um he's the one that's moving hearts and he's the one that's breathing change in people and for us, it looks a lot more like surrender and tiny surrender after tiny surrender than it looks like making something happen, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, Jesus comes along and he changes everything, you know. I mean, I mean, almost everything goes in the opposite direction with Jesus. And, you know, everybody streamed to the central place to worship. And there was a list. The, there was a list called the Ten Commandments <laughs> that everybody... <laughs> you know, was, was very concerned about that, that, that they follow, and they, everybody would stream in the same direction into the temple to worship God. And then they added to the list. Then there's, then there's the law. So there's a whole bunch of more law. There's just a ton of, I think, over 600, 635, 45 laws. And, and it's like this long constitution that everybody's trying to follow, everybody's trying to measure up to. And Jesus comes along, and he says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Hmm. I mean, it just radically changes everything. And, and the interesting thing about ancient Israel is, is they were so similar to all of the other nations around them in regards to everybody streams into the temple. Because every culture had its own temples. Some of them you can still see today. Mm-hmm. Others are underground. Others we know about through literature. But every culture was streaming in to this place, this holy of holies. And Luke, in his gospel, who wanted to give an accurate account, decides to include in his gospel that when Jesus dies, this thick curtain that divided the holy of holies, I mean, that was the place. I mean, you talk about holiness, that was the place to go, you know, and the, and the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies in the temple from the rest of the world, essentially, is torn in two. And then Jesus tells his disciples, go to all of the ethnic groups. You mean those people that are different than us? Those people that think different? Those people that, that don't like us? Those people that are strange? Those people that have weird customs? Those people that don't even believe in the same God we believe in? Are you kidding? Go to all of those different ethnic groups yeah because holiness was redefined holiness isn't going into the holy of holies Mm. it's going out into the world and loving 
how Jesus loved. Mm. And he just turns everything upside down for us. Mm. You even see little, you see that, that leaking in the stories in the, the Old Testament too. I don't know how quick we are to see that all the time, but like even the story of Jonah, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I remember reading kids' books w- with my with my children, you know, stories, Bible stories, and there was one of Jonah that they had. It made me very angry because the end of the story, the children's story, Jonah had this picture of Jonah jumping in the air and clicking his heels together because he had finally realized what <laughs> God. But but that's not what happens in that story at all. Like he sent to Nineveh capital of Assyria who they're killing murdering raping his people and that's where he's sent to you know to bring news that God wants to bring about change that's where he's sent right. well I don't think I'd go there either you know I mean I don't want to I don't want to do that you know that that's a scary thing so he gets in a boat and he goes as far away as possible and then he tries to kill himself by jumping into the sea and goes as far away and down as possible and God is constantly pulling him back and still at the end of that story he's looking at his enemies wishing mad angry raising his fist at God that God spared them wanting to watch them burn you know and God through that entire story is saying you know, you are your ambassadors for me to these to these different people groups, right? You're, you're supposed to bring this good news that I that I want to love, I want to love them, and that's the difficult thing about this journey that we're on right now with this whole series of God talk. I mentioned several times that God wants to reorient us. And every time we see a massive change in Christianity, there's a massive reorientation that takes place. And it's painful. And so you talk talk about the story of Jonah, and God is trying to reorient him towards something. And really, we know that at some point, somebody wrote that story down as a message to ancient Israel. And they were saying, you need to change the way that you think about these things. You have some presuppositions. You have some baggage that you don't even know that you have. And I'm trying to show you how I feel about others. And that's the journey that we're on. As we we will progress week by week, it's going to be difficult because we're going to have to break down. God's going to have to break down some of the ways that that we've allowed ourselves to be molded Hmm. so that we can do new things. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for talking today. It's fantastic. So we are going to do this each week at the uh, end of a message and uh, put these out on our regular podcast schedule. If you have questions, we would love to hear from you. You can always email us. Uh, Kim, you're head of communications. What uh, If they do info at lakesidechurch.com? Yep, that comes to me. So. Yeah, so if you have big questions about God Talk, info at lakesidechurch.com. Uh, that would be the best way, I think, to yeah. engage that, yeah. we, because we'd love to be able to engage with you on those things. And then make sure you bring your God Talk journal back. If you didn't get one, pick one up this week. Sean, thanks, man. Thanks again. Great. Thanks, man. Great job. Peace out. If you would like to see or hear Sean's message that he delivered last week, go to lakesidechurch.com 
pull down the menu and look at media. You will find messages there. We look forward to talking to you after this week's message as well. Peace. Peace.